very beautifully done. If some of you are following along Psalm 42, uh, you can begin to see how it all meshed together in regard to all of that. You know, when, when do we develop a sense of right and wrong? I want to think about that. I mean, how many of you children uh, feel guilty if you sneak a cookie out of the bag uh, when you were told not to? Uh, do you suffer a little bit of guilt pain at that point? Or if you spill your drink and try to hide it uh, from your parents? And so even as uh, young children, uh, we see uh, they develop the beginnings of a conscience in so many ways. In a uh, popular fictional story, actually this is one in the classic Disney cartoons, I think the uh, second uh, most famous one besides uh, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Pinocchio, uh, Jiminy Cricket was appointed to teach Pinocchio right from wrong. (laughs) Why? Because even though Pinocchio wanted to be good, uh, he was influenced to do wrong things. And so in this uh, fairy tale, uh, he needed to be instructed of what uh, he should be doing. However, in a true story, uh, not a fictional one, uh, but one uh, that we know from the history of the Bible, uh, God instructed Adam and Eve that it was wrong to eat of the true knowledge, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they disobeyed, it's very interesting, uh, they tried to hide from God. <laughs> so there, there was this conscience, uh, certainly within Adam, and uh, I'm assuming Eve, uh, but it was, again, Adam explained to God, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And of course, then God asked, who told you that you were naked? It was obvious Satan injected twisted ideas of what was appropriate and what was shameful. And so again, uh, his conscience as Adam's was now twisted or perverted in a a certain way. Now, one of the issues we wrestle with in the church of God is that of conscience. Uh, You know, we want to love and obey God. And yet there are many conflicting thoughts on what we should think and what we should do. And we uh, certainly know the scripture, uh, what is not of faith is sin. And sometimes this principle is used to make decisions uh, that may only actually be based on our opinions, but not fully biblically based. And yet we, uh, again, claim that and we want to do something or not do something uh, based on that. And again, we need to understand what it really is talking about. So today, let's look into the scriptures to understand uh, what a godly conscience should be. Now, if anyone does not have a conscience at all, just please raise your hand. And I would like to talk with you uh, sometime this week. But, no, I think we all have consciences of some sort. Uh, again, there, there are some uh, individuals who really have psychological problems that uh, they apparently, uh, again, don't really uh, care one way or the other about right and wrong. But that is, uh, again, even in our society, relatively rare. Well, how should our knowledge of right and wrong begin? E- frankly, even as, as uh, children, as we begin to grow up. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. 
and verse 5. The proverb states, Trust in the eternal uh, with all your heart. And notice, lean not on your own understanding. Don't be inclined to trust on what you uh, humanly understand about things. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, ideally, uh, this approach should begin in early childhood uh, with the instruction of the parents to the children. Uh, However, most were not born in a truly converted family. Now, there's some exceptions here. Some of our children have grown up in a converted family. Uh, But most of us who are adults did not. And so uh, this principle was uh, certainly uh, easier said than done. Uh, For many of us, a godly conscience began later in life. Even if we grew up in a Christian family, uh, at least uh, acknowledging the Bible and God in that way, our concepts of what the Bible teaches and how we should understand would vary depending on background. Now, perhaps the basics of the Ten Commandments were emphasized, and that was good. I know uh, growing up, even though I was not in the uh, Church of God, uh, I did understand that murdering was wrong. So I did not murder my sister, and uh, nor schoolmates. And I, you know, I tried not to steal from them. So, uh, you know, I, I did understand some of those basic moral imperatives. Uh, but one family, my wife and I visited. Uh, this has been years ago over in Idaho, uh, came into God's church not eating meat of any kind. Uh, they grew up with a Seventh-day Adventist doctrine, but were considered Christian. Another family attended a Baptist church and thought all kinds of meat were okay. Uh, pig's feet, uh, frog legs, uh, pork, rabbit, catfish. You know, if it crawled or swam, they ate it. <laughs> I know of others coming into the Church of God who thought they were uh, were not going to be influenced by any church or group of people. And so they read their Bible on their own, thinking that uh, no man could teach them uh, what to do. And they felt they understood the scripture, what the Scripture stated, although without the benefit of the Holy Spirit, uh, without the benefit of the understanding of the body of Christ, and the discernment or teaching in the ministry. But in all uh, three family examples, they believed they knew God's laws and will. And yet all three uh, disagreed with each other on uh, different ideas. Each could have a crisis of conscience when they applied uh, what is not of faith is sin. They could have. And uh, so one's conscience say, well, we can't eat meat. Another might say, well, we have to believe in the Trinity or keep Sunday. Uh, So in other words, that concept was based on truth and error. Truth and error. Uh, Again, it's not a godly conscience. So when we consider all the scriptures, we learn that understanding the spiritual and physical laws of God is dependent on many factors. As God calls us into his body, the church, we begin, we begin to understand, or as, as he did call us, we begin to understand that we had to unlearn 
false teachings and ideas and learn a new way of life. Every single one of us who have been baptized uh, had to confront that. Uh, it's what the Bible called repentance. Uh, now, this is what the Adventist family did, going back to those three families. But the Adventist family, when they were called, began to read the uh, church booklets on clean unclean meats. And then they studied all the scriptures, not only in that booklet, but uh, they had a concordance, which uh, we have always been recommending uh, you have one available as uh, you study the Bible so you can get you know, all the scriptures on a particular subject. And so when they read this and studied the Bible and read all the scriptures, they concluded they were wrong. Although they didn't have to eat meat, uh, you know, you know, that's still their, their choice. You know, you're not forced to eat meat if you don't want. But they retained their, they retrained their taste buds over time so that they could eat meat. So what they did, they educated their conscience. And the conscience, conscious uh, uh, thinking there, that conscience of right and wrong began to change and be in, in, more, in, uh, in more line with God's thinking and instruction. So again, the conscience is malleable. And uh, that we have to realize that. In Matthew 4, verse 4, it talks about uh, the famous example when Jesus Christ was confronting Satan. That he he uh, uh, read the scripture or quoted the scripture, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so coming into the church of God, we have uh, encouraged everyone to study the Bible in such a way that we would try to read all the scriptures that pertain uh, to a particular topic, whether it be the Sabbath, uh, the holy days, uh, law and grace, uh, any of these uh, faith, any of these topics. And ideas we thought were wrong, we learned were right. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, many of us grew up uh, in households where uh, uh, they felt that alcohol was uh, not to be uh, uh, used. Now, it could be tolerated or in some cases condemned. But then when we read the Bible, we realized that, you know, one of Christ's first miracles was turning water into wine. Now, the, you know, the Bible did teach that you it is permissible, but you cannot be a drunkard uh, or an alcoholic. You've got to deal with those problems. And so the proper use is described in the Bible. So what we thought may have thought was wrong, it turns out, it's right. So God began changing and re-educating our consciences. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. I'll break in the middle of a thought here, but this is very crucial to the subject. How much more Again, Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. I mean, he's without sin. And again, he, he bore our sins on his, in his body. And was, was crucified and then slain on the, the uh, crucifixion or during crucifixion. He says, so how much more then shall he cleanse your conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. Now, it's kind of interesting is, you know, part of when before we were called, uh, our conscience was based on dead work. That is, not in harmony with God. At one time, uh, we were very fine. <laughs> uh, and, and our conscience was clear by uh, observing Christmas, Easter, Sunday, Halloween. Uh, you know, in, in many cases, uh, you know, obeying other gods and, and ideas. And that didn't bother us at all. Because our conscience was based on dead works. Uh, and then our, our, uh, at conversion, then the situation changes. Changes. As God calls and converts us, bringing us to real repentance, uh, we are baptized, we are buried with Christ. Again, what verse 14 is talking about. Uh, you know, letting the blood of Christ pay for our past sins. Uh, we are buried with Christ. We are then raised up out of that watery grave to be saved by the living God. And then Christ provides the Holy Spirit. Uh, the church, the body of Christ, of course, is, is a wonderful blessing that God has established for his people. And, of course, Anne has appointed the ministry to teach us sound doctrine to help us to grow up in Christ. And we uh, read that in Ephesians 4. So it is through this process that we begin to change our thoughts and actions. What we did before, uh, those things which are wrong in uh, thought and action, we begin to, uh, to modify and overcome. And, of course, that's what scriptures call this, uh, overcoming. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul had to go through this process. Let's turn to Acts chapter 26. You know, he did some horrendous things, and his conscience, when he, were, when he was doing these things, was clear. Because he thought he was doing God's service. Notice Acts 26, uh, verse 9. He, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Notice that his conscience said, He must do this. <laughs> Uh, you know, his conscience compelled him to oppose the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his church. Uh, he said, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received the authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. <laughs> you know, he was all for it. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Uh, so again, that's what the Apostle Paul did. And then finally, uh, when on the road to Damascus, you know, he was blinded uh, by Jesus Christ, and uh, then Jesus showed him that what he thought was right was actually uh, going against God himself, going against Christ. And then Paul immediately, it's, it's an amazing change, <laughs> but then he, he uh, immediately began to realize that all that he had done in the name of God was totally wrong. And he repented and was used very zealously 
as a, uh, a powerful minister in the church of God, and God used him even to write many of the letters that are now in, in Scripture. Uh, conscience literally means with knowledge. Our conscience is trained by what we believe and, and uh, changes, though, as we grow in biblical knowledge and value. Now, this so far seems a very simple process. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I mean, what could possibly go wrong, especially in the church of God? Well, let's examine what God reveals about problems we might encounter as our sense of right and wrong grows. Let's turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go to verse 12. Uh, he's talking to some brethren there in, uh, uh, we understand, Jerusalem, as he writes his letter to them. And he, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need uh, to uh, have uh, come to need milk and not solid food. You use the analogy of a little babe. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who are by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern uh, both good and evil. And so what, what happened here uh, to those people? They, they should have had educated consciences. But obviously, uh, there was some sense that they, they felt their opinions and ideas outweighed the knowledge of, of others. Uh, you know, and, and we'll talk about this as we go into uh, some of the book of Proverbs. Uh, but obviously, they weren't exercising in a proper way their senses. They weren't discerning right and wrong. And somehow they got off the foundation of God's word and then began to uh, uh, go into these, some of the, maybe some of these picky, controversial areas. And so their consciences, instead of being based on a firm, solid foundation, you know, the rock, Jesus Christ, uh, it was more on their opinions and ideas. Uh, these individuals apparently were not considering how Proverbs reveal the importance of counsel. Because obviously they weren't getting counsel in this. Uh, and if we kind of apply it to our day and age, uh, you know, we, we some of us may, may not consider the wisdom of others who have spent more years in the church of God. We might not think about how God has dealt with spiritual issues in the past. And uh, corrected and, and guided the church to grow and to change in a right way. Uh, we might think more highly of ourselves than of others. And so we may become so focused on, on ourselves and our opinions or so focused on certain verses while forgetting other verses uh, that reveal a much bigger picture. And again, I have viewed that, I know many of us have viewed that through the years. Now, individuals, you know, would, would focus in on certain subjects, and uh, they may be right or wrong, but then they forget uh, so many of the other uh, foundational tenets of God's Word. 
And so they, as, as one article in the past stated, uh, you know, can you be wrong when you're right? <laughs> well, they may be right in a picky point, but wrong on, uh, you know, the basics of God's way of life. So we could also fall in the same trap as there in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, we might lack spiritual discernment, not correctly dividing the word of God, but not realize it, but not realize it. And so our consciences are not fully mature and trained. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes here in verse 15 of 2 Timothy 2, says, be diligent, you know, work hard to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but notice rightly dividing the word of truth. That could also be in the sense of uh, rightly discerning the intent and meaning of God's word. And we know that takes the help of God's Holy Spirit, as well as the direction uh, and instruction of the church. Uh, you know, the church has grown in knowledge. We have corrected errors. How? Well, usually by reading and understanding scriptures that we might have passed over previously. And then once all the verses pertinent to the subject became clear, we could arrive at a sound conclusion. Uh, several, now, 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 not all of you have gone through this, but uh, many of us have. Uh, we learned how Pentecost should be cut. We were keeping Pentecost for many years, uh, but counted it wrongly. And then when all the scriptures were put together and how, how those words, what those words meant on counting uh, the day, uh, then uh, we were our conscience about you know keeping on one day changed, and then we realized we were wrong, and should count uh, on the other day. Now there are others, by the way, during this time period who already felt they knew this, and some of them left the church. And what happened was they were right, they were right, but by doing what they did, they no longer was supporting the preaching of the gospel. Uh, they, they, they kind of abandoned the work and the, the uh, power of the church. And uh, they, in a sense, came to spiritual nothing. But they were right. <laughs> but they were wrong on how they approached it. And uh, that's, uh, again, a problem with conscience. Uh, also, we uh, had to get a better understanding, a proper understanding, a biblical understanding regarding divorce and remarriage. And so uh, that happened again, again, looking at all the scriptures, some we had just uh, passed over and not realizing we had. And uh, then uh, God brought it to the attention of the church and God, through the church, changed it for all individuals. Like in Acts 15, uh, you know, where there was a decision on, uh, on circumcision. And Mr. Weston talked about that uh, last, uh, I believe, last week. Uh, but again, they sent letters to all the congregations so that all of God's people uh, had the same information and could grow in understanding and have their consciences educated uh, now in a better way. So again, uh, what happens if you believe something sincerely uh, but not discerning 
that it's not accurate. What, that could happen. <laughs> you know, for example, another thing I'm saying is that, you know, our conscience uh, makes us feel like, well, we should be doing this, but it actually is based on inaccurate knowledge. Uh, what do we do? Well, temporarily, we could be in the same boat mentioned in Romans 14 and uh, chapters 14 and 15. You know, there were doubts. That's what it was talked about when uh, we uh, think in terms of of Romans. Uh, In fact, we'll turn to the book of Romans. We'll not read the whole chapter. Uh, Again, this was referred to as well, I think, last week. But uh, it talks about uh, disputes over doubtful things. Oftentimes, our consciences uh, are, at least part of our conscience, are are based on doubtful uh, issues uh, that are not fully, uh, again, uh, proved and, and explored. But they were, there were doubts about whether to eat meat or just be vegetarians. Again, and, and again, the issue is not just a health issue, by the way. Now, we understand that. You know, there, there are some of you probably who, who uh, do not eat meat for health reasons or for, or, again, very important reasons. And that's fine. Not an issue at all. But again, uh, they, they, these were probably doctrinal issues that they gained from some culture or some group they had belonged to. Uh, and so it was not a health issue, but an issue that some came to think very important. And Paul explained uh, that these were physical concerns, not spiritual. Romans 14, uh, verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So some of these individuals were kind of making a physical issue uh, into a spiritual uh, problem, and, and it was not. And again, uh, we could find the same things today, something that really shouldn't be spiritual and should not defile our conscience. There's simply a disagreement on physical things. And then, of course, uh, as we understand government, we uh, try to follow uh, you know, what makes for uh, harmony in, in uh, the church or in our groups. And so these issues were not trunk-of-the-tree doctrines. You know, the nature of God, <laughs> the, the power of God, the kingdom of God, uh, the laws of God. Uh, you know, why are we born? It weren't these kind of issues. These were doubtful issues. And so Paul instructed that we could be patient for a while. So that's the way we would normally, uh, at the beginning, we're very patient uh, for a while because individuals were weak in the faith. Now, notice it's talked about weak in the faith, not weak of faith. They could have faith. You know, they could believe God and probably did very, very zealously uh, believed in God. But they were weak in the sense in the faith, that is, in the doctrines and teachings of God's word. So they were deficient in doctrinal understanding. And so then Paul was inspired to state later on, uh, he that doubts, uh, or another way to put it, or discerns and puts a difference between eating or not eating meats, that was the subject of uh, that chapter, uh, is judged uh, if he eats, Again, if, he, if he has doubts in these ways, because this is not a faith. Uh, for whatever is not a faith is sin. You know, if they don't have confidence that this is God's word, then they have to, uh, you know, again, discern eventually uh, what is right or what is wrong. By the way, 
this statement, whatever is not of faith is sin, is the second definition of sin. The first definition of sin, all of you should know. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is a transgression of the law. <laughs> so, so you have, in a sense, two definitions here that describe what sin is. Now, some have used this scripture to remain in their opinions. You know, again, I hope you are listening very carefully. Some use the scripture to remain in their opinions. Even if those opinions are not supported by all the scriptures that pertain to the subject. Now, you know, and, and uh, this is not what should be. Uh, many other scriptural examples, including Acts 15, Matthew 16, Matthew 28, just three. Again, Acts 15, Matthew 16, and Matthew 28 show in principle that we should not violate our conscience, but only until we learn better. I hope this makes sense to you. In other words, we may have a strong, and we might think it's a conscience, a crisis of conscience in a doubtful issue. And that's fine, but only until we're willing to humbly re-examine things until we learn better or until we educate it to what is really correct in the Bible. Uh, why is this? Because conscience is not our ultimate guide. Conscience is not our ultimate guide unless it is based on a proper understanding of God's law. In the scriptures, we must be humble and teachable. We must be willing to accept judgments by the church as is led by Jesus Christ. So, again, our conscience is not our ultimate guide. Uh, God's word certainly is. Again, are we willing and able to uh, accept the instruction of God as he works through uh, his church? You know, I could use the example of conscience objection in war and military service, because <laughs> many of us had to face that in our, our young years. But uh, because that involved conscience, a crisis of conscience in regard, can we uh, conscientiously obey God and still kill uh, and, and be taught to hate as we go to war? And so, again, that absolutely was a very important crisis of conscience. And uh, the church dealt with that. God helped the church to uh, get through that and to not compromise. Another example uh, that we're working with even today involves Sabbath services. You know, for example, uh, you know, we come to uh, this, these temporary guidelines, and, and uh, there may be some who feel like, by conscience sake, we just can't abide by this. Well, again, let me try to educate you in how this works. You know, the length of services have changed even when Mr. Armstrong was alive. You know, I hope most of you realize this. But when the Philadelphia era of the church began, services ranged from three to four hours long. Uh, Mr. Armstrong felt, you know, uh, many people were just not uh, founded on uh, the truth of the Bible, and he felt it was very important. You know, we didn't have the booklets, uh, as many booklets 
uh, materials and, and uh, telecasts and so on. And uh, this was what he felt was very needed. But during his lifetime, by the way, it dropped down to two hours. And sometimes, depending on uh, the sermon, it might be a little more, a little less. But notice, you know, that it was not written in stone. And so uh, it had nothing to do uh, with a spiritual issue, but a policy issue. Uh, the truth was not watered down, but it was no longer needed uh, to have the longer services. Uh, not, oh, uh, again, not any longer needed. Uh, that was modified even the, how we did the Feast of Tabernacles, again, in the lifetime of Mr. Armstrong. Uh, even in our modern history, again, judgments were made in regard uh, to attendance. For example, uh, the Bible certainly reveals that we should meet together on the Sabbath. It's a commanded assembly. And even more often, uh, I'm not saying not you know, on the, more Sabbaths, <laughs> But just as God's people, uh, we should fellowship more often as the day of Christ's return draws closer to, to encourage each other and strengthen each other in our faith and our understandings. But, uh, brethren, you know, through the years, many uh, were able to attend every Sabbath, even in the early years of the church. But often others, because of distance, couldn't afford the gas to do so or to take a Friday off to travel the many hours to drive to where services were being held. That was a time period where we had baptizing tours. And there were individuals who had to wait sometimes half a year and sometimes a full year before being able to be visited by a minister. And even a little later, uh, I know when my wife and I were serving in, in Idaho and also uh, when I was in Oregon, uh, we had, again, uh, every so often, uh, maybe again once a year, we would travel from Idaho uh, with the minister from Utah, and we would go into Colorado and Wyoming and uh, visit isolated members. They did not have churches there. Now, that does not mean they did not agree with scriptures. It didn't mean they were violating God's law. But they had to faithfully keep the Sabbath at home, and uh, as often as they could, uh, try to get to services as they could, as they could afford to. So again, you begin to realize, you know, differing circumstances at different times in, in the history of the church. Now, through the years, members might stay at home temporarily because of illness. <laughs> that has happened, uh, you know, uh, as long as I can remember, that has happened. And they did so so they wouldn't infect the brethren, or that brethren might not impact their health. <laughs> Maybe they were suffering an issue that maybe they're not contagious, uh, but the ill health of members could affect them. And so they had to sometimes stay at home of temporary periods of time till God healed them or, or the condition improved. Uh, others with more serious health problems might stay home for much longer times, but they faithfully kept the Sabbath. And notice there was no crisis of conscience because they knew they were keeping the day holy, according to the biblical principles, and their heart was that as soon as they could, uh, they would you know get back to where uh, they could fellowship with the brethren and hear the sermons live. Now at this time, uh, we are under a different set of circumstances, uh, a pandemic, 
Uh, temporarily, we wear a mask. Uh, I know they're a little uncomfortable, and it's hard for some of you to, to breathe. Uh, but it's not because of lack of faith. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us here lack faith. But because we want to be careful in not spreading this particular disease. And also, we can't rent the hall <laughs> unless we do. So uh, if, if that was not, if we weren't doing this, uh, you'd, you'd be still back watching services online. And there's no biblical reason not to do this uh, for the present distress. There just isn't. Uh, in regard to another issue in the Old Testament, uh, biblical laws prevented people with certain contagious diseases to be separated, uh, separated from their meetings. You know, uh, we see that. Uh, they had to go outside the camp. And uh, there were times when women at, at times during their monthly cycles uh, could not, uh, you know, uh, be at the temple or uh, be able to uh, be there uh, with God's people worshiping in that way. And yet they were obeying God. Uh, they were not disobeying. So it's interesting as we, again, really read the history of the Bible and understand what's going on and the history of the church, you begin to realize you know, that our consciences, again, need to be educated with what is happening. By the way, we fully agree. Uh, again, when I was talking to Mr. Weston, he was uh, bringing up the subject and we talked about it. Uh, we fully agree uh, that under normal circumstances, uh, singing hymns should be a part of our services. Uh, we, we, we want that. So we're not saying that you can't sing hymns at all. But uh, you certainly can sing hymns at home if you want to. Or, uh, and we're not saying we no longer agree with the Bible. We do agree with it. However, we do see examples where singing is not mentioned uh, at a future tabernacle service there in Nehemiah. For whatever reason, it mentions, uh, you know, the word of God being expounded and uh, people uh, being excited about uh, having a better now understanding of what God expected of them. But uh, just no mention of, of uh, songs one way or the other. And they weren't defying God. They were being taught his word. Now we see that Paul sang, uh, sang psalms while he was in prison. But that was a prison issue, not a health issue, <laughs> by the way, uh, involved. And uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And by the way, it is permissible to hum. They mentioned uh, that's not a problem. And we uh, look forward to the time when uh, we can all sing with our wonderful voices. Now, I think many of us envy the talents of uh, some of our young people and older people as well who have uh, very wonderful voices. But not all of us are gifted with that. But Ephesians chapter 5, again, verse 18 Here's this scripture. Again, do not be drunk uh, with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, notice uh, our conscience and mind and thoughts should be led by God's Holy Spirit. Now here in Ephesians 5, verse 19. Now speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, speaking and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart uh, to the Lord. And so, uh, you know, notice we've, we've said under these temporary circumstances, then we can at least do that and honor God and worship him. 
In verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we thank God even during these terrible circumstances. And they're going to get worse uh, eventually before the return of Christ. But we hope that uh, things will return to a semblance of normality. So, uh, again, what the, the issue in singing is, is very temporary, not a decision to not follow God's uh, word, but to try to understand and apply the scriptures, as Mr. Armstrong did, as Dr. Merrith did, how do we apply God's word faithfully according to the circumstances we find ourselves in? Because we want to be faithful uh, to our God. Now, what about the issue of civil government? Uh, let's turn to Romans 13. And I may, may or may not be able to finish this today, otherwise i got a Bible study coming in. <laughs> so uh, I will not go over time. But uh, this is a very, by the way, a, a very important subject that we have to kind of think about. Because there are individuals who, again, who do not understand conscience. And, uh, you know, that principle of what is faith is, is uh, sin and so on, not really understanding the context and uh, the education and changing of our conscience in a right way. So what about government? Romans 13, this is a very heated <laughs> uh, topic in society, not just in the church of God, but in society. And uh, so we come to the point of civil disobedience. And oftentimes, again, uh, railing against uh, decisions of government. And in some cases... Uh, you know, going to the opposite extreme, not only defying government, but then destroying, <laughs> burning, looting in the process. Uh, so it's, it's just really a crazy world we're living in. So in our conscience to government, let's start with verse 1. You know, the Apostle Paul writes, Let every soul or every person be subject to the governing authorities. And what is the basis of this? His opinion? No. For there is no authority except from God. And it, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And if you have any doubt where that comes, you can read Daniel, the book of Daniel, and some of the Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, that is a, a strong biblical principle. But again, all authority uh, is allowed from God. And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So again, Paul, first of all, shows the, the basis of what he's going to be talking about. And then verse 5 mentions that this has to do with conscience. At verse 5, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, because of what they might do to you, but also for conscience sake. And so once we understand the principle that God is the author of all authority, then it's conscience toward God that we respect what he wants us to do. And so there should be no crisis of conscience in this matter. Uh, in fact, it shows that the conscience issue is if we don't follow God's instructions. And so, again, we want to be educated in that matter. Now, there's many examples 
you know, King David, a man after God's own heart, uh, which will be, again, a, an individual high up in God's kingdom under Christ. Uh, but notice in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24, 1 Samuel, you know, what was his attitude toward a very corrupt and evil authority, an authority who was trying to kill him, uh, in, in fact, but First Samuel 24, and uh, let's go, we'll start with verse, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that was told him, saying, you know, take note, you know, David, you know, his enemy, the one he was trying to kill, is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David, and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. And as it would happen, he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And when you got to go, you got to go. <laughs> so he, he went into this cave to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. <laughs> so here is the one who wants to kill David, and David's right there, but... Uh, you know, uh, further back in the cave. And then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Now, by the way, you could interpret that statement any way you wanted to interpret. For example, their interpretation was God is going to deliver your enemy into your hand, and now you kill him. But that's not what God said. It gave really a test to David. Your enemy is going to be in your hand, but it's your decision what you're going to do, as it seems good to you. So David arose, and at first, David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. That's what happened at first. And then he said to the men, The eternal forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the eternal's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the eternal. Now, who is the author of authority? Who appointed this king? And so David's conscience kicked in. <laughs> David was, you know, his conscience was overall educated in a moment he disrespected that, and then he thought better immediately of it and realized that this was a test. You know, what was going to be, what was going to seem good to David? Was it going to be, it was going to seem good to him to kill Saul or to embarrass him, or was it going to be good to spare his enemy's life, to love your enemy? Again, as Christ talked about in the New Testament. Well, verse 12, verse 12, same chapter. David says, let the eternal judge between you and me. So he's talking about between him and Saul. And let the eternal avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. So again, as we see, David had a very educated conscience 
in that way. And so there are other examples of that. But how should we develop a godly conscience? So I've been talking about some of the issues we might uh, be facing uh, when these things arise. But how should we develop a godly conscience? Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. I'm in the right one here. Yes. Uh, It says, Don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Uh, You know, if if Paul writing today, he might say, uh, Don't give heed to what you hear hear on Facebook and Twitter and so on, (laughs) Uh, what you hear in the media, uh, because that can cause disputes uh, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, notice from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Notice he's, he's saying it's, it's based on the law of love. Uh, you know, 1 John 5, 3. Uh, this is the love of God. We keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. So he said the purpose of the commandment here is, again, the very nature of God, of love from a pure heart and from a good good conscience and sincere faith. So it's based on uh, God's law. Those from whom some having strayed have turned aside uh, to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And so he talks about how the law is not made for a righteous person, although we keep it. But the intent is for, for if, if your conscience is, is weak or, or you don't know what to do, the law instructs us how to have God's mind and nature. It's for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners. For the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And so that's why our conscience should be educated according to God's law. And that way we know what is wrong and what is right. Again, and this is all according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed uh, to my trust. So we should review the Ten Commandments from time to time, as well as the other principles of God throughout the Bible. That's why we do study the Bible uh, every day as we as we're able. And then we should teach them to our children. Deuteronomy 6, you're all familiar with that. That we should teach them how it's applied in everyday circumstances. Uh, from something just as simple as not stealing a cookie (laughs) from the cookie uh, bag or jar or whatever. But they're taught uh, right from wrong from early years. And then Romans 12, in the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, this present age, 
you know, its ideas and actions, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, again, we need to test our consciences and discern, in other words, educate our consciences. We have to be very careful that we just don't take for granted uh, right and wrong, but we need to, again, be studying the scriptures, testing ourselves. Uh, you know, are, are our consciences correct? We should respect and learn from how the church of God understands right and wrong. Again, Ephesians chapter 4. I referred to that earlier. Again, notice uh, what God has done, the one who is ultimately in authority. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 uh, God is the one who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, uh, some pastors and teachers. Again, verse 11, Ephesians 4. But why? Notice, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry or serving, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of the body of Christ, the church, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, a mature individual, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by our deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him which is the head, from whom the whole body joined it together, and he goes on. And so does God use the church to help educate our conscience? Yes, he does. And then when the church is a little off track, uh, again, the, the record has been that God puts the church back on track. And so, uh, again, that we know that since Christ is the head, we would expect that. And uh, we have faith in that. Uh, James 4, verse 17 I think maybe I can finish up here in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17. We could probably say this fits in with the other two definitions of sin. Again, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And again, there are times when individuals, again, wrestle uh, you know, and their their conscience are saying that what you're doing is not right, and then they you know they're they're struggling against it. And it's as Paul writes in in Romans that you know sometimes the good you want to do you're not doing, and the things you don't want to do you're doing. You're, you're wrestling. You're trying to overcome. You're you're not you're not giving in and searing your conscience. We're not neglecting the conscience. We're fighting to do what is right with the power and spirit of God. And so, again, uh, that, is, that is a very important uh, principle. And so uh, we, we should put into practice God's way of life and seek to imitate his attitudes. Uh, again, Hebrews 13, just a few scriptures from that book that helps us to understand this principle. In Hebrews uh, 13, verse 5, again, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
uh, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Again, what can man do to me? <laughs> so we put God first, boldly and, and fearlessly. But notice, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the living head of the church. And so, again, uh, we want to make sure that those individuals who stayed on the the foundation uh, that we look to in the, in the right way, we follow them as they follow Christ. Uh, verse 16, uh, do not forget to do good and to share. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, Paul is pretty strong on this. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. So notice, we're not talking about carnal, godless men. We're talking about individuals who are true shepherds under Christ, watching out for your lives as those who must give account. And let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. And then he says, as Mr. Weston often talks about, you know, praying for him, and Mr. Ames about he does the same thing, and others at headquarters talk about this uh, from time to time. Is pray for us, but notice for we are confident that we have a good conscience, and in all things desiring to live honorably. Again, so uh, you know we understand that they have pure motives in what they are doing, and we have to recognize that you know to the pure, all things are pure. And we realize the track record and, and how God has used uh, certainly some of the headquarters ministers, uh, that they have a good track record. And they desire to live honorably. And they desire uh, to watch out for our lives and our safety, spiritually and physically. And verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Again, amen. That is, let it be so. And so that's, again, a wonderful definition of how a conscience should work. Christ working in us. And the uh, the conscience uh, seeking what is well-pleasing in the sight of Jesus Christ. In times such as we are going through, times of doubt and confusion, uh, we have to come together with confidence, with a clear conscience. Again, we don't want to be like the world, with faulty knowledge of right and wrong, or in some cases with minds seared and hardened, and so their consciences don't even function. But, uh, you know, it's interesting in Matthew 9, but uh, let me just uh, finish up here. Well, actually, we can turn, turn there. That's very important. This will be the last scripture that I'll use in this particular sermon. But Matthew 9, uh, verse 36. But notice, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. And scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Having no shepherd. 
And so that's what it's like in the world. The, 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 in the world, there are individuals who uh, they, they don't have a proper conscience. And they are like sheep. They're, they don't have a guide. They don't have, uh, uh, you know, Christ working in them at this point in time. And they need uh, what God has to give. They need what the church is teaching and explaining. So as God's people, we should have educated consciences and act accordingly in these times and every time, in good or bad. Uh, the time will come in the future that we will put our lives on the line and for conscience sake boldly state we ought to obey God <laughs> rather than man. That time will come. Uh, but again, I hope that as we go through all the different scriptures, and there's so many more, by the way, that the Bible explains, uh, that we will have godly consciences and we'll be able to treat each other uh, in attitude and action in a very powerfully godly way.